All right, welcome to the show here. I'm Slater, that's Kogan. And uh, this, is, this is our first podcast. This is a safe space. We strive to be politically correct, no topics off limits. But the one warning we have is that this is not fucking kid friendly. Correct. If you have kids and you care about their future, get them the fuck out of here. There'll be F-bombs and the like, but uh, we promise, we assure you, we will be ourselves, the true authentic selves. That's all that matters. That's what you're here for. Okay, a little bit about a little bit about me. I'm a forty something, a professional, kind of at the pinnacle of my career, living in the suburbs of Boston. <laughs> very, very, very humble. Also, trying to relive my thirties, and that's no joke, right, Zach? No, that's not a joke. The other day, well, we can talk about it later. But uh, not only relive your thirties, but perhaps revisit your college years. <laughs> Inside joke. <laughs> what are you drinking, by the way? So I'm I'm going bottom of the barrel. We are in the process of cleaning out the house because we're moving, mm-hmm. and I'm finishing the liquor cabinet. And I have some Lafroig ten year, like really too young to drink kind of shit. Um, this is as peaty as it gets. This is fucking straight peat. This is like it's it's fucking gross. But so I'm you have a it. you have a barbecue in your mouth right now. Yeah, like a smoker, I guess. <laughs> Traeger what or is Weber? Pete, anyway? what I don't know. Is, what is Pete? I don't know. So when people was Pete I, a dude? Is Pete a person or is it Pete? Like a kind I don't of know. I thought it was like peat moss, you know, like um, from the ground, something they threw in the uh, in the barrel. But I don't know. What the fuck do I know? I go to I go to Scotch Night and I think I know what I'm talking about. I have no fucking idea. I just pretend. I make it up. What's up with that? How come we people have to do that? Like if someone's talking about sports, I just fucking say shit. I don't have any fucking idea what I'm talking about. Like, I don't watch any sports other than a little bit of baseball, but, like, people start talking about this player, that player, and I'm like, yeah, he's the fucking best. It's like a man thing. Like, if I don't, if I can't, like, say something about the sport, then I feel like I didn't show my cock, you know? Well, it challenges you, and I think you want to fit in a little bit, but you know what we should do? At some point, we should get a psychologist or a psychiatrist or someone on the show with us and go through these different scenarios and let them pick apart our, uh, our little quirks, you know, kind of like the Robin Williams in the Good Will Hunting, you know, your little peccadillos. Yeah, yeah. exactly like yeah, that, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Good movie, good reference. Oh my god, such a good movie. We watched that back maybe like two weeks ago. He's fucking incredible, Robin Williams. You know, I, you know, you know him as a comedian, someone who just does these funny skits. Or there was a 2009 episode of some comedy show where he just went off on Joe Biden. I think it went viral recently. And he's like, yeah, Joe Biden, all the fucking shit, the things that come out of his mouth and all these gaffes and all that. But when you look at him, he's such a great actor. He took that role as a comedian and was just so serious about it. It's insane because one of my favorite films um, is it, – it's whatever. It's a kid's film. It's Hook, right? It's a mm-hmm. Peter Pan film with um, Dustin Hoffman as Captain Hook and Robin Williams as Peter Pan. And it's like – that's freaking Robin Williams, but he's also Peter Pan. Like, what, like how how is Robin Williams playing Peter? Like the, the innocent character of Peter Pan. He he was a genius. That was another serious movie. That was a great movement. You know, I showed that to my kids. My kids are eight. And I showed that to them maybe like a year or so ago, and they didn't dig it like we digged it when we were younger. Just because the the quality of the movies and the things they're mm. watching nowadays, and we'll get to the topic at hand with the cell phones. But it's so different right. than we were kids. You know, when we went into a Toys R Us, for example, right? Toys R Us was amazing. It was like Candyland. Oh I took God. my kids into Toys R Us, what, two years ago before they closed? 
It's crap. It was garbage. It wasn't the same as when we were kids. But was it was it you that real? Were you also thinking of it as garbage? Or like, has it changed? I think or it have has. we changed? Ooh, you think it has? Deep, deep, deep. deep. I think it's changed. I think toys now are more modern. They're not the old Nintendo type, Super Mario. Now you're dealing with Fortnite and what the fuck they download on the on the phones nowadays. But things were simple. They were exciting. Now it's just so complicated and so modern. Maybe it's us. Maybe we've changed. Maybe I've changed. Well, we definitely changed. I, I think this is what, what I'm thinking about is realism, like an, an almost ultra realism and how that takes away from imagination like i had no issues with the fact that my nintendo duck hunting game didn't resemble reality to a very accurate degree because you lived in a different universe but i didn't need like i was i was imagining i was shooting ducks it didn't have to look like actual duck hunting i didn't need like blood splatter and an actual Mm. duck and wind like it was a freaking it was a video game and i loved it i could play it all night long i had no no issues with it not looking realistic now you look at video games and they're being made to look like like movies basically like some of these things it looks like a, I can't tell sometimes the difference in, in the video game ads if it's real or or a computer generated mm. and is that part of it is it stealing away a little bit of our imagination like video games are still imaginative is that you pretend that this is real but it's clearly not because it's like a joke it's Mario Kart mm. but then the new thing with like you know whatever the kids are playing I don't know what Fortnite looks like but some of the stuff I see it looks real. Like, it looks like a movie, you know? It um, does. And they have some really realistic games on the iPads. My kids play play iPad games. They download whatever. And I get these random emails from Apple, you know, subscription renewed or in-app purchase or whatever it is. But you know what they're yeah. playing is they're, they're not even playing these complicated um, Fortnite-type games at this age. They're playing these games that are simulated uh, simulations of life where they can connect and actually speak to other kids in the neighborhood. And they're all playing the same game. And, you know, it looks like Smurf Village. And they follow each other into each other's houses. And, you know, they're talking through the screens and saying, you know, come to my house. Come to my bedroom. What do you think of my life? And it's almost like, like the games have come full circle where they're now using the technology that we have these iPads and these iPhones and these computers more more advanced than what we had, you know, the original Nintendo NES system. Um, uh, And they're doing kind of the same thing that we did on the basic systems. So I wonder, I wonder, have we really changed or is technology coming full circle that it's going back to that we've outlived, um, uh, you know, the advances in the gamesmanships and we got to the point of it being so advanced that now kids want something simpler. It's too advanced. It was too lifelike. I don't know. What do you think? It's it's good. I mean, first of all, I think that this is a good, like, as far when I think about kids using technology, I usually go straight, straight in the dark, man. Like, it's straight bad. All I think about is the horrible things that's going on, that are going on. Um, so this sort of feels pretty light, and I'm happy that that's what your kids are doing. Um, I don't know. It's It seems to me that what really changed gameplay from what I thought was – I don't want to make too much of a value judgment, but I, I think it was different, maybe better. When kids got together, let's say you came to my I basement agree. and we got on the um, – we got on the thing and started playing Mario Kart together, right? And me mm-hmm. – and I'm like hitting your controller and we're messing around, hanging out in the basement, right? 
Now, when it went to online gaming, right, when it went mm-hmm. to Xbox Live, which is mm-hmm. where it's at, and now what your kids are doing is, is built off of that, is they're playing with each other without being together, right? And mm-hmm. now their, their online persona, like when you're saying, come see my house, that's where it like sort of like, like it rings a bell for me of who they are, their self-identity is so tied into their online persona, right? Their character, their avatar um, online. And so they've built this world online and they interact with other kids and they show them the world they build, their bedroom they've created. I don't know the the ins and outs of the game, but it's, it's, it's no longer like my kid is playing with your kid. It's their avatars are playing with each other and they're representing their identities. Right. It's inter- I don't know. It's a different level. It's hard. Um, Saturday, for example, on Shabbos, yeah. our kids couldn't have screens. And what, what did right. they so, do? So they, were the bo- they were bored we all day. We don't use technology. Right. The listeners may not know. We don't use – we're Jews um, and we follow the rules and uh, we, don't, we don't use technology on Shabbat. Yeah, so – The Jewish Sabbath. Saturday, let's call the it the Sabbath. Sabbath. Right. The Sabbath. The so Sabbath. my kids didn't have screens. They didn't have TVs. They didn't have technology. They had no way of right. communicating outside of our, you know, our neighborhood or our, or our right. property. And they were bored off their asses and they didn't know what to do. And, you know, my wife and I, we had a conversation with them about this, that when we were kids um, and we had siblings, we found things to do. But the, the more we use screens and technology and computers and iPads and all of this, the less creative kids today are becoming. Now, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of an interesting time because we have the pandemic and we have lockdowns and we have distance learning. So some of this is necessitated by circumstances, obviously. But what my fear is we're going to have a generation that's going to grow up um, at least for a year or two. And they're not going to have much social interaction outside of communications through a screen or uh, within the bubble that they've created in the pandemic, whoever they allow into their worlds or the parents allow into their worlds. So it's a problem. I think there's, there's good components of it that we'll get to. But I, I do think the social interaction uh, limitations is a problem. I think the lack of creativity or the hindrance to creativity uh, mm-hmm. is probably, for me, one of the biggest problems with the technology. Interesting. So, it, it, with with the Sabbath, that that forces them, and it gives us an opportunity to disconnect. And I think that's all even more so relevant in, in during pandemic, right? I mm-hmm. mean, I'm on Zoom right all day, um, mm-hmm. and I'm not on Shabbat, so like I can step away from my screen and interact with people in real life. But I am. What do you think, future wise? Is this really? And maybe this is true for all sort of major global events like an accelerator of what's going to happen. And does the world change sort of in these like seismic shifts? And this pandemic is really setting us up for the future, which is we don't need to be in offices as much. We don't need to talk to each other in person as much. Mm-hmm. Um, we just continue to be remote. And our kids are are learning right now. What's it going to be like when, they, when they're in the workforce? And they're learning to master that skill now. It's a good take. The ninth, this is what I wonder, in the 1918, 1919 um, flu pandemic that happened, right? We see the Spanish flu. The Spanish flu. We see pictures of people with masks and they were probably social distancing and they didn't know that much about the viruses and technology and pandemics and all that. Anyways, wasn't it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't the 20s after that occurred, considered the roaring 20s until they had the depression in the late 20s? 
And then you had the Renaissance again in the 30s. So it's kind of like what you were saying that the, the pandemic then kicked off the revolution of society into a different gear and the 20s were roaring. And then, you know, the bubble exploded. They had the depression and life goes on. But I think you have something there. I, I, I don't know enough. I think we, we should ask somebody or at least Wikipedia this because yeah. I don't, what were the repercussions of the flu pandemic in 1918, 1919? Um, it's a, it's a, I don't know. And I'm sure we can learn a ton from that because it's not so different today. Um, the biggest difference being the technology, I imagine. Um, I mean, for sure, you can see the theoretical is people are going to leave cities, right? They're going to leave downtowns. There's no need for that. There's mm -hmm. no need to all be congested. But it all seems like a circle because, right, like when in the 50s when like a lot of the neighborhoods were being built around where we live um, – it, it's it's all good and great, but now everybody wants to live in the city, or until a year ago they did, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and now it's back to the suburbs, you know, and now there's outrageous pricing here out in the suburbs. Crazy, right? Right. So fuck. <laughs> um. I, dro I dro actually drove through Boston the other day, and I was looking and like, ugh, I used to live here. And you see all of these buildings that uh, have stood there for whatever, decades, right? And now they're going to be empty or construction sites that are being built and no one's going to want to right. lease or work in and, or New York City that all these buildings that aren't going to get back to capacity of what they be, were before or Simon malls or shopping malls in particular that all of these uh, department stores are leaving or small mom and pop shops are leaving too and now have to be Amazon or should be Amazon uh, distribution centers. It's a crazy time, man. It is a crazy time. What is the story with the Amazon thing? What, what is Amazon doing with the malls? I think it's brilliant, actually. So what I what I read the other day in the Wall Street Journal was that Simon Malls is in talks with Amazon about the empty spaces in the shopping malls being Amazon distribution centers. And mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember, but back in what was it like 1998, 1999, 2000, and Amazon was just getting going, and it was a book company, and you could order your book books company, online. Right. You could order your books online, and I was in college back then, going into law school, and. I thought it was the craziest thing in the world. You could buy your books online. And then, you know, I get married and we move to Massachusetts and we start having kids and people are talking about wedding registries on Amazon. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is that? You're going to send right. me a gift on Amazon? And then right, the boxes started coming. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we had and now they come every day. Oh my God. And they come like four times a day with UPS yeah. and, and Amazon. You watch and... them on your phone. The thing tells you it's 10 stops away. Crazy. And you fucking sit there and watch the thing come to your house like a fucking dog waiting for a treat. <laughs> What's the story with this UP, <laughs> this uh, this post office thing with uh, the president there? What's he doing? Fuck. It, everything is a fucking thing. And everything is a fucking stupid thing. And it's like. People just hate Trump so much that it doesn't even really matter. I, I can't even see – I don't really – I've taken enough effort to see what the actual issue is. Mm -hmm. It's Trump said something. So whatever he said is very, very bad, Nazi-esque, and uh, whatever he said we should be against. And it, 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 maybe there's merit to it, but I think it's, it's with such consistency, 100 percent consistency, that I can't, I can't even get behind it. I think my understanding is it's for sure wrong is that he wants to stop preemptive, um, proactive mail-in ballots. So usually my, I think that if you want to mail in a ballot, 
it's uh, there's a process. There's some barriers. You know, you have to say, okay, I'm not going to be in my state to vote, but I'd like to vote. I need to register and get the mail-in ballot, and then get the get it sent in. And what Trump doesn't want, which is supposedly what some states want to do, is proactively just send out mail-in ballots because of pandemic and just giving people who have concerns about you know gathering in crowds, etc., to vote the opportunity proactively to just mail in the ballot. And I think that Trump, for whatever reason, doesn't want that, whether it's better, higher turnout, you know, I think it's, I think that's what it is. I think Trump doesn't want the higher turnout. I think he wants the lower turnout because in the swing states, his only chance, and we're going to disagree on this for sure. We can get into Mm -hmm. that, but Trump's only chance is a low showing in the swing states by people who are like in the, in, in, in the, whatever, not even a camp, but in this in this world of fucking Trump sucks. Biden is 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 like I don't understand how you could come up with like a a, a completely dead person. It would basically be the same thing, um, maybe better because at least they're not saying stupid shit all the time. Mm. So I'm not gonna vote for Biden, but it's a sure thing anyway. So sort almost like a Clinton thing where it's like Clinton's gonna win no matter what. We all know Clinton is gonna win. So therefore, no, I don't even need to go vote for her. And then you have the issue of the the electoral vote being pushed over by by the right swing states, Pennsylvania, whatever. Um, And I think the same thing is what's going on now. And Trump doesn't want all these voters who are like, "Eh, I'll stay at home. I'm not going to go and put my name on a Biden, you know, vote. But I hope he wins Two being then given in front of their face. Here's an envelope check off the candidate and drop it in the mail. Now all of a sudden, like, oh yeah, whatever. So I'll click Biden. I wasn't going to spend my day going to the voting booth and risking getting COVID, but at home I'll check off Biden if you ask me. So I think that that's Trump's play. I don't think there's anything else to it, but I'm, I'm not, I, I, that's not an issue I've, I've, I've learned too much about. Well, it was a good take. Um, with the post office though, it's interesting because the post office has run deficits for what? Like the last 10 years? Uh, oh, yeah, it's a it was it was a, it was a disaster well before Trump even got there. Now he's had a, this little war with the post office and Amazon and not paying their fair share. Talk about fair share, right? Fair share of taxes. The Amazon not paying their fair share of shipping. You know they pay a dollar forty four for whatever it was the mail, post office, or UPS. But I think that's a different issue from what's going on with the with the voting and the ballots. I think you're right. I think that. Trump, in his mind, separates it, and some Republicans too, separate it between absentee ballots and universal mail uh, voting. And you have some states like New Jersey who actually said the other day, or the governor said, they're going to they're gonna send every registered voter a ballot. And to me, I agree with uh, the segment of society or the president and the Republicans on this point that you can't or shouldn't be able to send a ballot to every person on a voting roll. Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, we don't have universal voting ID laws that we can actually ensure that people are actually who they say they are, number one. Number two, there was at least one state I saw that is waiving notary requirements. I don't remember if it was Pennsylvania. Uh, it may have been Pennsylvania and it may have gone up to the Supreme Court, but they waived notary They're requirements. waiving notary requirements on absentee ballots? On mail ballots, because you have to you have to notarize the ballot when you send it back. Right, because right, right, right. I mean, so you don't know who's who. But here's my bigger concern: when I lived in the city, I was on the voter roll three times. So when I went in to vote without an ID, because you don't need ID here in Massachusetts, 
I would go in and you say whatever it is. You're, you don't, I don't think you even say your last name first. You say your street address or street name, then the unit number, and then your name, right? And when I looked down right. at the piece of paper, I was on the piece of paper like three or four times because I lived in two different apartments on that street over the course of a couple of years. Yeah, and every time you renew sure. your license, you register to vote again. Or every time they send you a census form, you register to vote again. Yeah, and so, they don't clean those databases. So yeah. legit, if this was going on here in Massachusetts, I would have received three or four ballots. And if I wasn't an upstanding citizen, and there are a certain segment of this population where I do believe actually would fill out three ballots, you know, uh, there could theoretically be a consequence. And I think that's what the argument against um, people who have concerns is that there are laws on the book that, you know, people are going to follow the laws. They're not going to sign three ballots and mail them in. But I hate to tell you, Zach, I, I do think it is a problem. And I do think in certain states like California, New York, or wherever else, people are going to fill out multiple ballots. Now, California and New York aren't going to be in play necessarily, but places like Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin are. And if you have voter rolls that aren't up to date and everybody's getting a universal mail-in ballot without actually requesting it, uh, I think that's a problem because one, you can fill out the mail-in ballot uh, and two, you can actually physically go vote. And when there's overlap and inability to cross-check it and the system isn't secure, I think that leads to what the problem that Trump and the Republicans think is going to happen, which is the election could be stolen. But who knows? You know, I, I think absentee ballot good. I think universal mail-in ballots uh, probably not such a great idea until we uh, upgrade our infrastructure and abilities to be able to do it. All right, so I have so many takes, so many questions, and it's good. You so you took constitutional law at least one semester, right? Of course. Yeah. So I took constitutional law as well. Um, but so correct me on this, but the the right to vote to cast a vote where where do we find that in the constitution oh that's a good question so you're going to put me on the spot you know something i actually trained in law school under john hart ely he's one of the foremost constitutional experts on the right to vote so much so that uh this was at university of miami law school so much so that uh he worked on the clint uh the bush v gore matter for al gore because we're in Miami at the time. The right to vote's universal. I mean, it's in case law, it's embodied in our democracy. One person, one vote, right? But, you know, it's it's interesting because if you look at the text of the Constitution, I don't think it's actually in there. I don't think anywhere it says the right to vote. I actually tried except, to think, I'm like, where is it in there? Yeah. Except yeah. when women got the right to vote, that was by constitutional amendment that they were given the right to vote. But a lot of these things are on the books with uh, statutes and laws and you know, this is our this is our federalism, right? We have the right to vote right. in the states, uh, and we really have no national standards for elections for the most part. There are a few exceptions to that, and that's what the concern is, right? That you have the right to vote in your states, but you're not even voting for president; you're voting for electors. And each state can have their own laws about how you can vote for electors and whether you can switch your vote if you're an elector. And that's the whole faithless elector argument that happened and went up to the Supreme Court, what, maybe like six months ago uh, and was just decided. So I don't know. To answer your question, that was a long way around. Uh, the right to votes embodied in case law and our democracy. It's one of those common law issues. Yeah, I got to read up on this because the, the women's right to vote is the 19th Amendment to the Constitution. Right. Meaning – it prohibits denying the right to vote based on sex. That's the Nineteenth Amendment in right. a nutshell. So I'm just wondering. I don't know. I have to. I, I don't know. I don't know the issues that well. But if it is a constitutional right, which we, we can extrapolate is at least based on case law, um, 
it's an interesting dynamic between the camp on the right, which is going to say, or the libertarian, the libertarian camp that's going to say, IDs are absurd. IDs are completely unconstitutional. You can't ask me for an ID. You can't ask me for anything to, to I can go buy a gun, right? I mean, I lived in Nevada. You walk into any store and you buy a gun because it's your constitutional right to own a firearm. Like they can't ask you for a, for, for an ID. Like even, you know, you and I may think that that doesn't make sense, but it's in the constitution. So if that's a position of the libertarian and the right, why isn't that equally applied? Well, I think it's the libertarian on voting. Correct. So the issue is this, that the Supreme Court has said unambiguously time after time that you can't have any laws that impede a person's right to vote. It's kind of like you can't place an undue burden on a woman's right to an abortion, right? So you can't have any laws such as poll taxes or eligibility requirements on the right to vote. And a lot of, so this is the difference. A lot of people on the left look at voter ID requirements as saying that people won't come out of the woodwork and go down and get an, uh, an identification card from the RMV or state agency uh, for a couple of reasons. One, they have no transportation to get there. Two, they have no money to go pay for a, a license or an ID. And three, it's a time commitment and it's absurd because all you should need mm-hmm. is, uh, is your name and uh, you should be able to go vote. Now, there are ways around that. You can take an electric bill or uh, some uh, a rent statement or mortgage statement and be able to prove who you are. But people on the left don't want that. And I, you know, this is just my own take. I have no data to back it up, no research or anything like that. But my own take is this, that a lot of people go to vote who say they are who they aren't. For example, if someone dies and a relative is no longer around, you can use their name and go vote because you know, you know nobody else is going to. So I do think that needs to be cleaned up. I think it's a systemic problem. Uh, I don't know how you resolve the voter ID issue because voter IDs have been struck down by the courts time after time. So I do think that's gonna take a constitutional amendment, but I have to be honest, I don't understand what the concern is about voter IDs, uh, uh, especially if the state is willing to pay for them. Yeah, so so here's the thing. The, the issue with the voter fraud is that these sort of one-off theoretical cases that somebody's going to vote twice or vote as their dead odds, um, whatever. Like, okay, so see those, say those people do that. Like, yeah, that's a problem. It, it should be cleaned up. Yeah, it should be cleaned up. It's not right. But in order for it to be successful in any way, it has to be a very coordinated effort. Because if I, living in the part of the country that I do, go and vote four times, it's not going to do anything, Right. And same if you live in, you know, in, 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 in Red Kingdom, right, in Texas, it doesn't matter. You have to not only be in a swing state, you have to be in a swing state and in the right electoral district, right, mm-hmm. to be able to know, okay, so this one really could go left or right by a few hundred votes, right? And that's where you need to make those efforts. Because if you and I did this, right, let's say you and I both go and vote Republican ticket, or somebody goes and votes Republican ticket four times in, in our you know in our district. It's not going to change the outcome. No. We live in a in, in, a, in, a, in a in a super majority blue state, and you know it's it's it's, it's over seventy percent right vote Democrat. So it's it's useless. But if you, even if you look at swing states, like if you go to a place like New Hampshire, right, and you go to Nashua, 
it's a blue it's blue country, right? Ain't no mm-hmm. Nashua going red. So it makes no sense for a guy in Nashua to vote four times. I mean, he could do it and it's cheating and he shouldn't be able to do it. But you gotta know, like, in you know, where it is. Like in Franconia, maybe, you know, it's it's here or there between the vacationers and the bikers, who goes where, and if you go there and vote four times, you can get it to swing right or left. So in other, what I think, if that really happens, it's a concerted effort. It could, it's it's a conspiracy. Is is what it has to be in order for it to be successful. Um, I think it'd I be know. hard. No, I think that was a great take. I don't disagree with you. I mean, Nashua. I grew up in New Hampshire. Nashua is a great example. So is Manchester. Maybe conquered to a little bit lesser extent. A little bit lesser extent. A lot of coal miners still over there. Yeah. And then, I mean, we went up to, uh, where is it? East Kingston, maybe like two weeks ago. We had to go pick up this uh, fucking bunny my kids wanted, right? We had to drive up to East Kingston. And there were Trump signs everywhere. But then we drive back, you know, you're so close to Massachusetts and then you start seeing the Biden signs. So it's interesting. It's like across the river is one thing, across the tracks is one thing and across the other tracks is another thing. But no, I hear you. I think where it makes a difference is this. You know, you have 63 million people that vote for one candidate, 60 million that vote for another. Do we know that there were actually 63 million people that voted for that candidate or were there double votes? And I'll, I'll say this. I don't know what the breakdown is. It doesn't is. matter. I'm saying it, doesn't it doesn't matter, matter at the end of the day. No, I agree with you. Matter. I agree with you. It didn't change the outcomes, but where it does change right. the outcomes is places like Pennsylvania, Florida, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Everywhere else, I agree with you. It doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't matter because we don't have a popular vote. True. No, I hear you. But where it does matter is if you if you have double votes in those particular states, then it does affect the electoral votes. What about interference in elections? What yeah. does that mean? Is that a real thing? Because I think I'll be honest. I think it's a bunch of fucking total bullshit and uh, like complete fucking total crap. Did you see that, that article? Did you see that article I texted you earlier? It was about uh, I think it was on Fox News, but it was a legit was take. That? It wasn't a. It wasn't one of those biased opinion things. It was that China's trying to interfere in the United States elections to help Trump lose. Did you see that? So this is I my thing. That. Like I don't know how you interfere in an election. I agree with you. I think it's total fucking bullshit. But there's different there's different interpretations of what interfere means, right? One of my friends will say interfere means anything. You know, they changed votes or they uh, did an influence campaign. They did Facebook marketing and uh, ads. Uh, they backed one candidate. They sped viral videos on Twitter and things like that. Who knows? There's so much free speech out there. So many things are said. I don't give a rat's ass because if anybody with half an intelligence can tell what's true and what's not true, when I see Hillary Clinton fall down getting into a limo and Secret Service dragging her in, <laughs> I know there's a fucking problem, right? Now, when right. I see when I see you know photos of her with someone saying she's got an insulin pump on the side of her uh, body because her shirt's baggy, who the fuck knows? I don't know. But you know, I see her fall over, I believe it. I see, you know, something in a picture. I don't know. You have to ask questions. I think you have to weed these things out. Are there troll farms? Probably. Who knows? Do I think votes have been changed by Russia or China or anything else like that? Unlikely. I don't think. No. It's, I don't think no. it's likely. You know, it's so, Barack Obama yeah. who actually said, "Zags." Barack Obama actually said, "You can't rig an election, right?" And then afterwards, they said it was it was rigged by the Russians. It was rigged, right? So, so here's my take. Um, Generally on this whole thing and I'll I'll equate it back to sports because I think that that's actually a very good analogy for what isn't what is interference and what's not Mm -hmm. so We live in a a totally connected world 
everything's connected via social media, via news media. We're all connected. And everyone has an opinion, and everyone has the right to share their opinion, and they have the right, I think, to share that opinion. Maybe they don't have the right, but they, they, they can share that opinion and should be able to share their opinion the best way they can. In other words, if you're in a stadium playing in a, in a basketball game, and you're at the opponent's field. There, there's a bunch of different people rooting for different sides in this big stadium. That's the world stage. That's the that's the news. The the social media sitting in the in, in the stands and the people, and they're screaming at you. You got the ball and you want to shoot, and they're screaming to you. You suck. You're gonna miss. You suck. That guy. He's a piece of crap. You should have seen all the crap he did when he was 16. This one time in a WhatsApp group, he called people racist slurs, right? And the guy's trying to take a three pointer. Is that interference? Like, is a ref going to call interference? No. If there's a guy who comes and he's ready to take the three-pointer and punches him in the stomach or steals the ball or messes with the ball, messes with the hoop, okay, now you're messing up the game. So this whole Russia thing, the accusation is that they are Russia, China, whatever, through social media with bots or with real accounts, it doesn't really matter, but they're, they're, they're quote unquote flooding. They're, they're posting information about a certain candidate or about a certain topic that could influence an election. To put it in perspective, I mean, every single piece of political and, and political related um, content on Facebook between people or between, you know, news agencies is influencing elections. And every time that, you know, the Chinese press has a story about U.S. domestic policy, you can say that that is interference. And to quantify it, there's YouTube videos. Daddy Yankee has 450 million views on his video, right? What is that? Like, what, is that? what is Daddy Yankee? Daddy Yankee's a rapper, right? Like, um, he, he co collabs with... Um, I don't know what's his name. It's yeah, they they do a song. It's Despacito. Yeah, your kids probably listen to it. It's, it's old actually. It's probably a couple wow. years old. Anyway, it's it's a song. But this dude, Daddy Yankee's a rapper. He's got maybe other people have more. Four hundred and fifty million views. Can you imagine the power if you if we're going to use the measurement, the, you know, the 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 yardstick? That we're using to measure Russian influence on the elections, which is how many tweeter, how many tweets were posted by allegedly Russian sources to say Trump sucks, Trump is great, Hillary sucks. What if Daddy Yankee's song with 450 million views said mm -hmm. "fuck Trump, fuck Trump"? Are you gonna say Daddy Yankee is interfering in the election? Well, that's what if great Daddy Yankee's British, you know. Well, it's a good Sorry, take. Go so what I think the difference is is your scenario laid it out perfectly because what you're saying really is the interference when the refs call or blow the whistle, it has to be on the, on the court, right? On the field, on the court, right. Uh, right. not just in the stadium. So where you have uh, voting and changing votes, that's clearly interference, clearly illegal, violates multiple laws. Uh, and it's on the game field or battlefield, whatever you want to call it. When you have an outside influence like China, Russia, Poland, whatever, whichever foreign actor it is, they're not on the field, let alone not even in the stadium. And that's what's illegal about it. So it's a foreign entity trying to interfere in our elections, just like we, uh, we should not be interfering in 
other foreign elections, right? Now, I do disagree about one thing that uh, the Obama administration did try to interfere in the Israeli elections. They tried to actually help Netanyahu lose. Absolutely. Clear as day, it's undisputed. Yet that was okay, but when disinformation is used against a candidate of their liking in the United States, then it's off limits. So it's kind of hypocritical, kind of a double-edged sword type thing. But I think your take is, is clear as day and right on point, that the interference has to be on the field, on the court, not just in the stadium. 100% agreed. And uh, to, to sort of wrap up the topic, I'm trying to think of the man who was testifying before Congress. It's a clip of it all the time I see with Ted Cruz being the guy asking the questions. He was a Democratic um, on the campaign for Hillary. I forget. I forgot the name. Doesn't matter. Whatever. He was a Hillary campaign staff, pretty high up. Mm. He's a well-known guy in, in Washington. And they asked him about the the power of Facebook specifically to influence an election. Here's what he said. So every time you open Facebook, which for maybe a I don't know, I'm not going to say majority, for a, a huge percent of the population, that is a daily act to open up their Facebook, mm-hmm. um, or for sure to get a pop a notification right on their on their device, um, whether it's their their laptop or, or you know or computer or cell phone. A push notification from Facebook. That's how I know people's birthdays, honestly. And so if that push notification, they can control. And Facebook knows everything about you. And you self-disclose, even or, or you have it. They know who you are anyway, even if you didn't self-disclose your political affiliation. Many people have, but they know what party you probably are voting with. And let's say they, they sent out one of these things, which they often do. You know, remember today is Mother's Day, it's Father's Day, Valentine's Day. They said out, remember to vote, right? Mm-hmm. Remember, get out and vote. So there's a certain percentage of people, and they know this, they have a lot of money to do a lot of research, that act upon that impulse of seeing Facebook reminding them to go vote. Like there's this percentage of people who vote because they saw that, like every single time. And what if they didn't send that to every Facebook user, right? What if they said, filter for Democrat? And they sent that, and they said, click send. And now every single person who's a Democrat on their Facebook gets a notification on their cell phone that says, don't forget to vote on their way home from work, right? They could time this very easily as, you know, when people would go vote in a normal world where you would come home from work on, you know. Um, don't forget to stop by the, you know, your local thing. And they could even get you freaking click, click link to directions on Google Maps to get to the closest polling station that you belong to because it knows your address. That could, he, so anyway, in this testimony, this guy's saying that could absolutely swing an election, could absolutely swing an election. And there is nothing, no, no law which prevents Facebook from doing so or You're anyone right. else. You're right. There's no legal recourse. I saw it, and I think you're 100% right, and I have no doubt it happens. Do you? Do I have a doubt it happens? I'm going to... Well, that's a complicated... Let's rewind it a little bit because the question is really a little bit different. Do you think social media... And we should do a whole topic about this, by the way, a whole segment, a whole show. Do you think social media censors conservatives? Absolutely, yes. For sure. I follow this guy, Bill Mitchell, on Twitter, right? He's, a, he's one of the leading Trump supporters. 
I follow him. I follow Democratic people. I follow everybody. I just want to get a panoply of the news and everything that's going on, right? So he was suspended from Twitter because he posted something about um, hydroxychloroquine. It's a drug I take. A lot of Americans with rheumatological autoimmune problems take. And he posted something pro-hydroxychloroquine, right? So he was suspended. And while he was suspended, he was using another... I guess allegedly using another handle, Twitter handle, to get around the suspension, just to tweet things out. Nobody knew who he was. They gave him a ban now. So he left Twitter, leading Trump conservative voice, probably hundreds of thousands of followers. He essentially is one of the MAGA voices, right? We're 43 days from the debates, approximately 80 days from an election, and Twitter kicks this guy off of their platform. So we went to the other platform, whatever it is, Parlor, and he has a radio show and all that. But that's just, you know, if you look at it, they're kicking conservatives out. I don't know that I could name a single left-leaning uh, person that's been suspended or banned from Twitter. I don't think anybody can. I don't know. I don't know enough. I heard, I heard something about Alan. It's, it's, look, yes, I agree, and I think it's a problem. I do think that it's a little less nefarious than perhaps it can it can be perceived to be. I agree. I think it's sort of naturally occurring. People who go into news media, people who fund news media, are are a type of person that falls into that or, or seeks that out, and they will tend to be as they have been throughout most of you know my understanding through 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 through, through the history of these things, intellectuals in, in these kinds of spheres and, and you know, sort of the the. The, the part of society that would be news media or similar um, are, are, are left-leading. Um, and left politicians know that, or don't even know that, they naturally also fall into similar circles, right? You have Democrat, you know, people on the left who are liberals, who are progressives, are hanging out with, you know, the... the the beatniks and, and and the cool you know whatever it was poets and and artists and those influence each other and the one is influencing culture and the other one's influencing politics and it creates a a whole ecosystem um of leftist progressive you know not even just political thought it's lifestyle right and um so i think it's a little bit just naturally occurring that the media that we have is left of center. It always will be. Like I think that media will be left of center because of the nature of the beast. Um, that being said, filtering out conservative voices is an is is is, is a big issue. Is a really big Huge. issue. Huge issue. And I don't know what to do about it. And it boils down to where we've come to in our political discourse, which is that I, it's not that I disagree with you on politics. It's not that I disagree with you on an issue is that not only are you wrong and I'm right, you are morally corrupt and and I am, and and I am righteous and subject to cancellation. You're a morally corrupt person. You're not, you're not wrong about this. You know, it's not like I'm saying that the, the right answer is A, and you're saying, no, I think it's B, and we can agree, you know, it, we both have a good reason. There's, you know, intelligent minds can disagree. But here I'm saying, because you say A, you are not just wrong, and I just don't, I don't, I don't just disagree with you. You are morally corrupt, and therefore must be stopped. You are evil. And that, that's the discourse today for a lot of it, is it's not that they disagree. 
it's not like for well, abortion is a great example. It's not that there's a disagreement about something. And, and I think this is the case on both sides of the issue. Each side of the issue thinks the other side is morally corrupt, right? Not just that it's a disagreement. Um, and I think that that's that, that, that where this a lot of this stems from, because then you see other other conservative quote unquote takes like hydrochloroquine is good. And it's like, oh, well, under the guise of protecting people from misinformation about COVID, you know how every video you see that mm-hmm. has anything to do with COVID has like a disclaimer. Yeah. Um, COVID, if you want the real facts, go to New York Times. And so the, that fact that, that, that they own the truth, that that's the thing, right? That's that's what I'm trying to get at. It's that the 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 media, which is left by by the nature of the way it is. I don't think it can necessarily it, it can be not not a leftist thing owns the truth not has an opinion and a narrative it's that they own the truth entirely and therefore they feel themselves to have or even believe themselves have an obligation to filter out for um for truth checking and that's another that's another whole topic is 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 fact checking legit should people be fact checking because fact checking is not just fact checking we're not talking we're not we're not answering math questions right we're talking about policy. So you can fact check with a lot of bias. You know, you can fact check Trump and say everything he says is baloney. Or you can fact check him and say, well, you know, actually, it's, it's pretty, pretty close to accurate. But that's what happened in the last election. Do you remember the debate between actually two elections ago, Romney and Obama? And I think it was Candy Crowley, right, of CNN. Romney said something and she responded to him, no, that's not true. Like that's fact checking at its worst, right? Because reporters are supposed to be journalists or journalists are supposed to be reporters, not opinion commentators or propaganda or super PACs like a lot of these outlets are now uh, perceived to be. But I wanted to go back to something because there's a guy, his name is Nick Pasilio. He was a press secretary, I think for Kamala Harris between 2011 and 2014. You know what he does now, Zach? He is the he is the censor for if that's a word for Twitter. He's the guy who controls what is and what is not allowed on Twitter. So he tweeted out something Trump said, and this guy Nick Basilio tweeted tweeted out the original tweet from Team Trump is in violation of the Twitter rules on COVID nineteen misinformation, and we've required removal. That's Kamala Harris's press secretary five or six years ago. That is what's wrong. The apparent or perceived uh, conflict of interest or people going from politics from the left into social media and then conservatives are getting censored, that's what the concern is about and why the right is up up in arms, essentially. They're not even trying to hide it. I hear that. I don't know. know. It's a tough issue because… I, see, I, I totally see the at least the perception of a conflict of interest, but I also see, I mean, what 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 if it's benefit of the doubt? Let's say this guy is just like whatever. He had this job, now he has this job, and he's you know, like is he working for Kamala Harris? He may very well not like Kamala Harris after working with her. I'd imagine. But it's like when you see uh, we read a book once called The Skinny Bitch. It was about. Um, uh, the meat industry and all in the incestual relationship between you know the meat industry and the FDA and how people go back and forth between the two, right? Uh, 
there is a career outside of politics and everybody knows that and everybody knows that you can write a book if you work in the Trump administration or the White House or the Senate or the Supreme Court any and you get paid after it. Any, and yeah, and I mean, you you go and you, not only you're trying to make money, but I think you're trying to help your old friends as well because that's part of it. So I don't know. There's an apparent uh, or perceived conflict of interest there to me. Uh, and when you're targeting Team Trump in an election where your old boss is the candidate or nominee for vice president, I think that's a problem. That's probably a problem. Yeah. But there's no legal. There's no. There's. There's. It cannot be a legal issue. There's right? nothing. Like, I have the right to work wherever I want to work, and I can exercise my judgment to, to you know within the confines of my job and it's capitalism. That's my, that's my responsibility. That's right. Capitalism. If that guy's the best guy for the job, but he should absolutely have that job, right? Right. Um, All right. We have time for one think, more segment, Zach. What was your take? Yeah. I was going to say, do you really think – I think the right is weaker. I think that the right is weaker in their resolve because it takes too much energy to start an alternative to Twitter that actually works. It takes too much energy and too much of – the right doesn't have the players, right? If you took the the most successful content creators on Instagram, Twitter, whatever, Facebook, they're going to be left of center probably, right? Or mm-hmm. they're for sure aren't going to participate in the right of center conversation even if they're pretty apolitical. Um, so do you think that this, 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 this theoretical that our national conversation is so divided – and with the, the the echo chamber created by social media, where you only consume um, what's recommended to you because based on your friends who think probably the same or a similar way to you, creating the need for basically two separate Twitters, two separate Facebooks, or a Facebook where you don't see other people who, who you know, people who don't disagree with you, um, is that realistic? Because I don't I don't see I don't see the right having the wherewithal to go through with actually creating a viable platform. They're trying. They created this other platform called I think it's Parlor, where a lot of conservatives have left Twitter or are using Twitter less and using this other platform. And it's you know it's similar. Instead of calling it a tweet, they call it an echo. For example, um, this guy Bill Mitchell, who's kicked off Twitter, he's now on Parlor and he has forty three thousand followers. You know, in the last. I don't know, 10 days since he was he was suspended from Twitter. But they're trying. A lot of congressional people, senators, congressmen, prominent conservatives have joined Parler, and they're trying to build it up. But you know, the only way to really do that is if Trump decided to leave Twitter altogether and go to Parler, then you'd have this mass exodus and this following, and they'd get all the uh, uh, promotion well, and the advertising and publicity. If Trump goes to Parler and leaves Twitter, then CNN has to watch Parler. For then sure. Then Fox News has to watch Parler. Then, you know, the Young Turks have to watch that too. So so you have the full spectrum of the media then moving there. So I think that's an interesting take. But I do think the right sort of lacks um, resolve in this because look at the Colin uh, Kilpatrick. Is that his name? Kilpatrick? Um, the guy who took a, took a knee um, or has been taking the knee and then it was about – First, it was one thing, and later it was another thing, and that's a whole other conversation. But um, he, he's Nike guy, right? Nike gave him a big deal after his whole stunt and – or his whole, his whole whatever you want to call it. Um, and people were, like, burning their Nike sneakers and, like, their 49ers jerseys and, like, we're never buying Nike again. Forget it. Boycott Nike. Boycott Nike. 
I saw this all over, you know, Twitter and Facebook, and I have no doubt in my mind, like, every single one of those dudes went out and bought a nice pair of Nikes, like, within the last three months. I mean, you're talking about Colin Kaepernick, and (laughs) Colin Kaepernick, uh, thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, so I'm divided on this because obviously the NFL's had a turnaround where they're now recognizing and explicitly stating that players have the right to take a knee. Baseball too, right? Basketball too. Have you seen all these videos of basketball players taking a knee in the bubble? I haven't seen it, but they all take it, right? They all, they, most, most of them. And then there's not a Not to take it. Not to take it is a big deal now, right? Not to take it is a big deal. And then you have the right, right that are saying, look at this guy standing up for freedom and the flag. And you have the left saying, well, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't appreciate what everyone else is uh, fighting social activism for. Right, so, right. you know, I don't know. Colin Kaepernick was done with football before he decided to uh, sit on the bench or take a knee. And it kind of turned into this social activist moment where he's not capable of actually playing in a football game right now. But, you know, people are saying he's blackballed because he took a knee and he stands up for social injustice and he's making all these statements. He also wore socks that said, you know, um, cops are pigs. They had, they had cop, he had cops drawn as pigs, like caricatures of policemen and pigs. For sure. And that's where, where you know, here's, here's the thing. Let's separate the action altogether. Um, from from the from the context, if we can for a second, because I don't think he's a great role. You know, he's he's not a good figurehead for this at all. If we say that there's any any anything good about this, he's a bad figurehead for it. But to take a knee for the flag isn't to spit on the flag. It's not to burn the flag. It's not to you whatever the hell to dis, to really just it's it's to take a knee is 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 a higher and bear with me. It's a it's 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 the it's it's. Amongst the highest, you know, displays of honor you could give, you would take a knee to to, to, to propose to your to your wife. You would take a knee, like you know, you bend the knee. Like, yeah, it's Game of Thrones. Bend the knee, bend the knee. It basically, shows total um, um, surrender to capitulation, uh, uh, capitulation to a higher power, right? Like in Islam and, and in Judaism, also, we you know we don't do this as much, other than on 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 the uh, the high holidays where we really do a lenu, uh, one of the prayers we do when we get on our knees and put our heads down. But Jews used to do this as part of prayer, similar to the way Muslims do. We now sort of do a bow uh, that's just sort of waist uh, waist up instead of all the way to the to the ground. It's for different for many different reasons, um, but. This is sort of a complete surrender to a higher power, and so to take a knee is 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 really wow. I mean, without every other thing else, my God, this guy takes a knee for the American flag. Like, what incredible uh, sentiment to have, you know? Of course, it's it, it, it that's not what it is. But if we just look at the action itself, and 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 sometimes I think the right gets gets lost and just saying, "How dare you take a knee." What's wrong with taking a knee? Like, it's kind of nice, right? I don't know. What do you think? It's a good take. So, wait. Rewind. Are you for the knee or against the knee? I'm not for the knee or against the knee. I think it's just the knee in itself. The the idea that... Because why did he take a knee? Oh, it's to, to protest police injustice. Well... And it, 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 it's, it's morphed. Here, here. I guess I'll... But I'll is it a pro it statement or is it a negative statement? Because you can so look at it as the being... Issue. That's the issue. That's the issue. You have the Martin Luther King take, which is, and the traditional liberal liberal take, like you know, is this country is based on the right ideas, and it has not lived up to them for a long time in a lot of really bad ways. 
but we're getting closer all the time. And the ideal that that flag stands for and that this country stands for is the right ideal. So you have Martin Luther King, right, and he's talking about, Frederick Douglass is talking about the same idea. This country guarantees us God-given rights that precede government. All men, all men are created equal, right? These these truths may not have been lived up to for sure during slavery and for sure during Jim Crow, but but that, I think we're we're if we're not there we're we're very close. I don't know, and we have a black president, you know, well, we had one, and I think he's still president. I don't know how that that whole thing <laughs> is kind of weird. I don't know how that works. Um, but like. You know what I mean? We, we, we support the flag because the flag really represents a higher place than we are today. Like Jews, like we, we, we hold up the Torah. We don't necessarily hold up the Jewish community that right. is living Torah today. Torah is higher and an aspiration. Same with the flag and the, the ideals it represents. But that's, that's, that's potentially a knee that you take for for the honor of the flag and the pain you might feel. Actually, I don't want to write that in. You just have such respect for the flag you take a knee. Um, and you say after, for example, you know, the country needs to live up to this incredible, um, its incredible potential as it was envisioned with the flag and the constitution, or whatever. I think that's a but great take. Yeah. No, I, I think it's great. I didn't think about it that way. So when I, this is how I fall on this. I think I'm on a third shot. I'm pouring a third shot. Just so there you go. I've already right. finished mine. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what I came in with. Um, so. I think that America stands for a lot of principles that um, uh, one of which is our most important is the right to freedom of speech or Congress shall make no law abridging the right of freedom of speech, right? Uh, and that's been interpreted to be also freedom of expression, like burning a flag. Nowhere in the Constitution does it say you can burn a flag, but it's been interpreted that you have the right to free expression. And that naturally flows to you have the right to express yourself in certain Ways I would say certain nonviolent ways where you can take a knee um, and under your your take um, bow down or uh, lift up the ideals of what the flag should be or is meant to be or was uh, at one point. And then there's the flip side argument that you know taking a knee is like you don't want to stand for the honor of the sacrifice that everybody who fought for that flag, whether it be here in the Revolutionary War, the Civil War. Um, or the wars abroad in Afghanistan, Iraq, Vietnam, World War One, World War II. And I do think that to a certain segment of society, um, particularly veterans, that it, it, I can see how it's offensive that you don't stand for that flag that they fought for so that you have the right to be here in a stadium or a basketball court or a field to be able to express yourself uh, in a way uh, that you have the freedom to do essentially whatever you want and you get to make a statement about that flag, whether it be pro or con or advantageous or negative or whatever you want it to be. And I think for that reason, uh, I would not kneel for the flag. I just wouldn't do it. I would stand. But I also don't impose my thoughts and will and opinions on others because the freedom of expression, I think, is so paramount that it was embodied as... Uh, the First Amendment to the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. So that's my take. I don't particularly like it, but you know, uh, I recognize the ability to uh, express yourself and, and make a statement. Now that gets into a different point that people of celebrity or influence or 
um, athletes or people with followers on Twitter and social media, sometimes they think, or this is just my opinion and my take, sometimes they think that their expression um, has a lot of influence on voters and other people in society to to change things, to change society, to create movements, to create revolutions. And to some extent, that's probably right. Um, but, you know, I think you have to do what's right for yourself and not, not try to impose yourself on others. So in that scenario, I wouldn't impose my views on other people. And I would expect the same in return for those that kneel for the flag, not to impose their wills on me. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. I just, the flag, it comes down to the action itself. It's like tra a tradition. The tradition is you stand for the flag. And that's all it is. And it's not traditional to kneel for the flag. But I could easily see us having had a tradition or having a tradition where on Memorial Day you kneel for the flag. It's a minhag, right? It's a, it's a custom. Yeah, it's a minhag. Yeah, exactly. It's just a custom. That's all it is. It's just a custom. But I don't find it that offensive. I, 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 what, I, what I find very offensive is, is the narrative that, that America is bad, right? That, that, that it, it's all bad. Burn the flag. Right, and that that just seems insane to me, and just completely it does this fucking nuts. These people are in defund the police, get rid of police. Well, I think that's what the, that's what the argument is, oh. right? Because when so, if you trace it back, this is just my own take, my own opinion, my own observation. If you trace it back, this whole defund the police thing, how does it not go back? I mean, the very most. Um, contemporary example of this is Kaepernick wearing the socks with the with the pigs, right? So after that and this whole social activism movement, it leads into what we have today, which is defund the police and violence and police bad. It's like orange man bad, everybody else good, that type of thing. And I, I think it's a what, I think it's a problem. What a freaking white privileged position of any a freaking any to say get rid of police. Like, well, you have never dealt with any shit, have you? In my neighborhood, where people are well off and things are nice, we can live in a world that we pretend as we wave to our neighbors that, well, why do we need police? It seems every time they're around, someone's getting hurt. And it's like, yeah, because you're not being robbed or raped or scared or, or domestically abused or overdosing or loss or, or whatever the fuck, you know. Go, go to place where people you think you're helping by defunding the police live and ask them if they like the cops or not. Because I guarantee you, they may not love the cops, but they understand what a necessity is. And yeah. if they weren't there, they'd be fucking dead and their apartment would be robbed and their mom would be beat up and raped in the street. Like, that is the world that you're talking about when there's people who have needs that they can't fulfill with by going to work and they can't fulfill by weapons and, and violence, as they have seen, right? And if there's no cops there and they know that there's no cops there, then it's fucking – it's gone, man. It's Grand Theft Auto out there. So you got to be sitting pretty, real fucking pretty and privileged to say, get rid of the cops, like, of course, because I'll buy a freaking, I'll, I'll, I'll live in a gated community. You're going to get rid of cops. I'll move to a gated community and, and pay the premium to have a, to have a, to have a guard and a fence, you know, like, and so will everybody else on social media who's advocating for this. Like celebrities that have, do. that have bodyguards yeah, they all, that carry guns yeah, and for, against they the police. You, 
Have you been to the, you pull up to the house, you have an appointment, you talk to the guy through the intercom, he opens a gate to get to another gate, like, you, like come on. These people, they're freaking armed guards 24-7, and they want to tell me that they want to get rid of the cops. Okay, privatized, right? I mean, okay, that's I guess that's a take. If Malicious. You want to just privatized, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, geez. So we're coming to the end of our show here. All Zach, right, final right, takes. Right. I could keep going. I know, final, final takes. takes. Man, I got... Uh, it's tough for me to have one final take. What I'll say is, who the fuck has patience to watch a movie? That's what I'm <laughs> struggling with. I, re- I, don't, I don't get it. Because at least with a book, like I can put it down and put my bookmark in there. And it doesn't really matter how far I got. Um, with a movie, like, are you really going to pause a movie and come back to it three times? Like, that's meant to be watched in a sitting. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe with a piss break or something. So... I've been wanting to see all these movies lately. This movie, Tree of Life, I came across and I talked to our friend Donnie about. And I really want to see it. I just, I don't know what the deal is with movies. And if it's, I used to love watching movies. So this is clearly TikTok and YouTube just destroying my ability to concentrate. Um, but that's what I'm thinking about. I don't is, know if it's a hot take. Is that the uh, the one where we're going to get into about um, uh, God? I think we're going to get into God a lot. I think that I think God is present, man. For sure, for sure. All right, great final you take. Got a final take. What's your final take? My final take is that the refrigerator is the world's greatest invention, and that's where I was going to go when we we're going to oh. talk about smartphones. But let's leave that for next time. I'm Slater. That He's is Kogan. A good take. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll talk to you all soon.